Hello, Portland. You are listening to X-Ray FM's fourth annual Amplify Women Teach-In. My name is Sam Smargiasi, and I am joined by Robin Moxkey. Robin is an Indigenous activist, technology writer, and coder known for her work broadening Native American participation in tech. Thank you for joining us today, Robin. I'm excited to be here. How are you today? Good, you know, as good as one is in a national pandemic. Uh, Are you starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel? Uh, Well, I'm starting to see vaccines available, so there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fingers crossed for those. Um, So you have an impressive resume. You taught yourself how to code when you were a kid. You were cast in the Microsoft documentary Code Trip and had work featured in the Girls Who Code Sisterhood album. I was born a storyteller. As an indigenous woman, I was raised amongst the stars. Bright lights billions of years formed into oral histories. Stories about my past, my present, my future. Stories about my family, our history. On why we bead, on why we fish, why the sun shines, why the birds sing. So I take in knowledge more readily, not in abstract presentations or during lectures of the right way, but when it is woven into a tapestry of experiences and stories by the people around me. My generation's experiences will be passed this way too. We will talk about how we built entire cities by stacking zeros and ones, how we used strings of letters to connect populations across land masses, of how I became a member of a sisterhood so strong that distance and physical presence were of no matter, and about how learning a simple skill and sharing that with others changed my own life so dramatically. That piece was called On Being. In it, you create a correlation between coding and Indigenous storytelling. Can you tell us more about that concept? Well, I think for a long time, I I thought like, and I think that's just a normal part of growing up is you have all these, you're a dynamic individual, all of us are, and we have all these different interests that we like, and we often feel like we have to keep these in like certain containers. And especially as an Indigenous woman who doesn't see too many Indigenous people in tech, especially growing up, there was a sense of like, oh, these are almost separate worlds and like, but you know, that's not right. And I think that's sort of how a lot of people, you, you innately know something's not right. You're not really there yet. So you sort of circle around it before you are able to actually hit it. And I think there was always a sense of like, I know I can combine these two and I know that they work together because I had such interest in tech and I had, well, my culture is storytelling and just being indigenous, I think. Well, I don't know if it's just being indigenous. I think as humans, storytelling is such a part of our experience. And it's like, how can I combine these two in, in a way? And then you realize like, oh, they actually not only go hand in hand, it's they complement each other so well. And I think a lot of issues where we have our culture sort of, we call it brain drain on the res, where it's things are leaving, um, people leaving who hold knowledge. It's like, how can we sort of preserve this in a way? How can we build on this? And tech is a great way to do that with limited resources, I think. Hmm. So do you feel like a certain responsibility to try and find a way to tie those things together? Do you think that it's possible to like exist in the two worlds without them um, being related to each other? I don't know if I feel like a personal, well, Responsibility, I feel a responsibility to my culture in a sense, just to 
not be a horrible person <laughs> and if I can help out in some way like and I think that's just part of being human is like if you know something is going on and you you could p- possibly like contribute in some helpful way whether it's small like in the ways that I do or big like the ways that so many other people do like if you can do that you know maybe maybe there is a responsibility to at least try but it's never been like I've never felt burdened by it and I've I've often I often feel really hopeful about it because there's this like whoa like there's so many things that there's so many issues or things that I think we can tackle with this and also using different voices and using diverse thought in terms of how we tackle these because for the longest time I think that's also why we were facing some of these problems because they were being solved often by people who weren't part of the culture who had no idea of what goes on in rural or marginalized and underserved communities. So you have people who are like millionaires in a sense, trying to solve problems in very low income areas and then their solutions aren't working. And I think this makes me sort of hopeful. I think the two, I think they can exist on their own. There's nothing wrong with them existing on their own. And I think in fact, the way that they exist on their own is is quite beautiful, but I do like that overlap. And I think that overlap isn't something that is often widely considered a possibility because there, there really is this divide, not so much anymore, but I really felt like there was this divide for a long time where it's like, well, you, cause in our culture, we talk about tradition and we talk about traditional methods and we talk, and like people don't often think of tech, which comes with words like innovation and progressive as coexisting in the same space as words like tradition and, uh, you know, preserving. And these two go hand in hand. They're like, one is just the beginning of the story and one is the future of the story. And I think there, there is that like bridge between the two. So you told Google in a feature that they published about you, and I'm going to quote you here. I realized I could tell the computer what to do. There were so many obstacles. And then once you're on it, there are endless possibilities. And from that quote, I got the sense that there is an autonomy in tech that you're advocating for. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think what I think it's also making this sort of ties into when you're when you're talking about fear. I think there's often this like fear of things that we don't understand and computers, especially like they often keep them in this the way that technology is sort of especially nowadays where there's so many buzzwords and things are overcomplicated in ways that they don't have to be. And it puts like a lot of people won't pursue tech out of the fear of like, Oh, I can't do that because I don't understand. I don't even understand what this means, let alone how this thing operates or how this thing is going to work this complex uh, piece of equipment. But the reality is I think at the core of it, these are pro- remembering that these are programmed by humans. These were built by humans. Um, you're a human. Like you, you can do this. And it, and again, we all have skills and strengths and like certain things are going to take us a little bit longer to do, but I don't think what I was trying to get across is I don't think tech is this elite field that so many people have tried to like, or I don't know if so many people, but for at least that's the stigma that I felt like it was, because I never saw someone that looked like me in tech growing up and I didn't see a lot of women in tech. And so. Awesome. That sounds like a great segue into asking what exactly your advocacy work for um, broadening the reach of technology looks like. I work with various groups, but my, 
my main interest and my main focus was always rural and marginalized communities, specifically those that are cut off from a lot of resources, like the idea of like free Wi-Fi is non-existent in a lot of these areas, let alone some areas don't even have electricity. So when you're working, when you're trying to get people interested in tech in these spaces or just giving people access to tech, it's a little different than like now where it's like, oh, the only way that I can interact with people is sort of through tech because I'm not on a reservation right now. I'm not based. And that has caused a bit of change, but it's actually kind of interesting because I'm seeing myself participating in panels that I normally wouldn't. Cause even when I'm organizing a hackathon, all I'm actually doing is like, explaining something really at the end of the day and kind of like networking and getting people connected. I think at the core of it, it's getting the information that I have out of how other people can access and provide access and opportunities to these communities. I'm speaking with Indigenous activist Robin Moxkey, joining us for the fourth annual Amplify Women Day to talk about her far-reaching advocacy work. Robin, what in the world is a hackathon? (laughs) Um, A hackathon is just, I always think of it as just limited resources and trying to make something out of it and there's so many different definitions and actually that's a really good question because I always think of this when I first started trying to like get because I was a college student when I started organizing them and I remember I was at one tribal college before transferring to another. And at the first tribal college, I had been there long enough where there was like an established group that would like show up to these things, whether or not they wanted to like learn tech was another story. And we'd just get together and build. Um, We just make stuff really. And then I remember at the second school I went to, I had a little more difficulty getting people together. And I remember asking one time, like, I asked my friends, I was like, hey, like we had free pizza. Why didn't you show up? And they were like, well, you know, I didn't know what a hackathon was. (laughs) And then someone else was like, I didn't like the way it sounded, like the word hackathon. And then I realized like, oh, I'm in the wrong because like I'm using a very coded term that I didn't even realize was coded because I'm assuming that people know what this means. And that's, I think that is one of the biggest like obstacles when it comes to access is is using terms that are part of a very specific culture that don't that may not give people access or understanding to that easily and that's where it's like it's sort of it's super important to communicate in science it's super important to communicate in tech and to have more people feel empowered and feel like they know what they're being part of and actually to know what they're participating in and so i hackathons i I tend to think of is just it's it's a group of people coming together to like solve a problem with in the cases that I focus on it's usually limited resources um there have been some cases where companies were nice enough to like they provide everything but it doesn't really change the outcome because it's more like how motivated are people to build something and how excited are they about what they're building and what they're building can range um it can be apps that are focused on issues within the community. It can be, there have been robotics ones, which um, I'm still relatively new to those, but those are always exciting because I'm, I'm also just blown away by what people create because it's far, people can take you to places you can't go on your own. So when you're surrounded by people creating all this really cool stuff, it, I sometimes, I'm, 
I get kind of choked up about it sometimes, even though it's really cheesy, but it's like, I just think about sometimes people, when I started in my career and a lot of people were like, oh, like, you know how to code. And it was almost a surprise. And then, you know, when you sort of start to unpack that and you're like, are you surprised? Because I'm not doing anything that's extraordinary. So it's like, are you surprised because I'm a woman or native or you just didn't expect, like, what is, what, what are you really surprised about? And then I started to realize, like, there's not a lot of indigenous people in tech who get representation. There are native people who can code. I think fundamentally coding is something that a lot of people can do. It's just access to resources. And, and then when you give people access to resources and see where they run with it, it's um, powerful, it's beautiful, it's very humbling because it's like, wow, like these fourth graders are thinking of things that I could have never thought about. And they're solving real world problems in ways that I, I think a lot of people can learn from and I, I'm constantly learning from. That is so valuable. I love hearing that. You're going to be part of an upcoming panel for diverse women in tech. Do you want to tell us about that? So it's the identity and tech panel um, with Berkeley and it's with their um, association of women in EE and CS. Because I've been kind of like during quarantine, I'm not able to like go to the reservation in person. And I'm not, since I wasn't on the res when this hit, I was like, well, I'm not going to go out there now and be the one person to spread it to the rest. But like, there is a sense of like, I was feeling kind of useless. And now that I have a little more time with, I, I was seeing some of these panel talks and I was participating in more of them. And you realize like, oh, like you, you don't have to have this like grand story or have some like Harry Potter type abilities or just, I mean, be a genius. Like sometimes just sharing like how you got to this place. And so... I'm excited about this because it's just a chance to talk to other women who are in CS. And so there isn't an expectation because I think that's what I used to be really nervous about. I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to ask me like how I, how I built this app or how I made this, or I'm going to be on the spot to say like where I went to like, like where I got a CS degree, which I didn't like, you know, there's a lot of things that a lot of people are always like, Oh no, there's going to be all these expectations. And then I'm going to let them down inevitably. And when you realize, oh, okay, sometimes just telling your story where it's at and where it is and what you, and there's something kind of extraordinary about being ordinary. I think for a lot of people, because I, I, I don't know when I hear, when I hear stories of like, people doing these incredible things and they've built these things by the age of like 14, I'm, I'm often like, oh, well, I'm not 14. So what's left for me? And so there's something kind of nice when it's like, oh, okay, this isn't really a story of like anything great. It's just like little obstacles that you face. So you feel less alone in the world. That's a really wordy way, I guess, to say, uh, oftentimes I'll participate in these just so one, I can answer any questions. Maybe if they have specific indigenous questions that that I'm always excited to answer, but usually it's just about answering questions of how did you navigate this field as a woman or how did you navigate it as, as a, a person from an underserved community or how do, you, how do you navigate it now? Because tech is a very interesting field that's changed a lot since I've been in it and it continues to change in ways that I'm 
not always pleasantly surprised about sometimes I'm disappointed in and I think being more open about that where you can be critical of an industry that you still really like and have a lot of hope for but Mm. as I'm saying this I'm like oh no like I should have thought about that more if I'm talking to a group of women in CS about like stay out of CS but it's more just like it's not um I don't I think being being open and critical about things doesn't necessarily imply that you don't appreciate or respect them sometimes it's more just like you you don't want others to feel alone in experiencing certain things if they run into them Right. And I think also being critical of something means that you just want that thing to be the best that it can be. Right. Right. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm speaking with indigenous activist, Robin Moxkey joining us for the fourth annual Amplify Women Day to talk about her far reaching advocacy work. Robin, late last year, you spoke on a panel titled the movement for missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Can you tell us more about that and uh, what conversations came up? So the movement for missing and murdered indigenous women also uh, shorthand, you'll see the hashtag MMIW a lot. Um, This is massive. It started in Canada years ago. Um, It's a huge movement within Indian country. And there's so many, the thing about it is something affects, if an issue this big is affecting just Sometimes people may look at it as just the women's problem. No, it's the community's problem. It's actually the U.S.'s problem. And it's actually bigger than the U.S. And this is something that more and more people need to talk about. And we need to see how it hits different sectors and what those sectors can do. And what, not just how you can you contribute to combating this. Because I don't think it's a matter of combating it. Because there's so many issues at play here. It's marginalization. It's erasure. It's also just violence against women. How are we going as as a society, talk about these things, amplify these things. This isn't an issue that has one easy solution. This isn't an issue that just by getting more awareness, it's going to go away overnight. So oftentimes there'll be multiple panels in a week about this and they're all incredibly important because it's people people discussing how it's affecting them, people discussing how, what they feel like we can do to, we as a community can do to combat this. This goes back to earlier when I was saying when you go to a community, it's really important to ask the community what they want to build. Like if you're going in with the expectation of like, we're going to throw a hackathon, like we're going to all get together and build something. It's important to ask people what they want to build. It's important to have people part of that conversation. And what was what I was saying was oftentimes people who may have no coding or tech knowledge when you ask like, hey, what are you interested in? MMIW routinely comes up because it's our community that's having to solve this problem, which is a problem created by others. And yet it's being put on indigenous people to solve a problem that non-indigenous people created. When you're putting on these workshops and I, you know, I think in the back of my head, sometimes I was thinking they're going to, you know, they're going to be silly. Like I remember in Atlanta working on one and like our big project was making a robot that like could dance to future. Like, So it's like you have, and all of them are about like any project that you're building together because it's about the the experience of it. But then it's really overwhelming when you're talking to the same group in terms of age, like they were 12 years old and this other group is 12 years old, but they're like, I want to, I'm interested in MMIW and I want to build something around that. And it's like, okay, you 
are taking an active approach to this as a child, or I mean, 12 year olds are older and I'm not trying to, but what I mean is like, I'm as an adult, I'm looking at it like, oh, wow, these 12 year olds are wanting to do so much for this issue. And the fact that they even are aware of it, there's, I think any adult is going to have that weird mental split where you realize like, how have I failed the future? If like, you know, they're having to worry about a problem that should have been taken care of before that should have never even existed in the first place. And so that creates another layer to this really, really complicated issue. And because when you're talking about murdered and missing indigenous women, like it's, it's, it's a topic much bigger than like any one person. It's a topic much bigger than any one policy. I mean, there's definitely policies you need to talk about in place of it, but it's such a huge because it's an issue that was compounded by people's ignorance about indigenous people. It's an issue compounded about people's violence against indigenous people that isn't talked about in the U S it's an issue that's compounded by the fact that like, we are this invisible minority in the U S when it's our very own country. Like it's compounded by the fact that at the end of the day, people just do not care about indigenous women is sort of the feel that I get from it. And I don't mean to speak for anyone else because I don't, I also, I should caveat that like, I don't, I don't feel, and I hope this doesn't come across like I have any ownership of this as an indigenous woman, I care about it, but I don't, there are scholars out there and so many people that are much more equipped to talk about this and handle and I often feel like this goes back to the whole like well who am I to speak on these things if as as just a person as just but it's I think you have everyone indigenous or not has a really important role in this because you're either actively doing something about it or you're completely unaware of it because I would hate to it be a person that's actively aware of this and just doesn't care um and that's where it's sort of like I, I'm always kind of like well I don't it's such a huge issue that I, I I get kind of like I don't know if I'm saying the right things about it I don't know if I'm tackling it in the right way but I'm tackling it in the way that I understand and I'm contributing in the ways that I can by either amplifying it or by letting people become aware because I don't I should probably, I'm realizing, explain what it is. <laughs> um, but MMIW is basically, so statistics on missing and murdered indigenous women are not collected in the US. Um, up until 2012, because of the very unique situation that we're in of oftentimes reservations are on federal land and we are under the BIA, so the Bureau of Indian Affairs. So if you commit a crime on a reservation and it's uh, above a certain point, like so assaults and rapes, those we can't hold, like our own tribal court can't hold you, like our own tribal police can't hold you. We have to get the state or the surrounding county to hold you, which if you know at all, if if you have any understanding of how that works and how many, how much bureaucracy goes into getting another agency to do something and another place like that on its own is going to be difficult, let alone when it comes to assault, because we see the overwhelming numbers in, in non-Indigenous 
women of how just assault is handled. So compound that with the fact that a local agency, the agency that this land is on can't, can't prosecute these people, that we have to report it to somebody else and then hope that they go forward and prosecute this. And then these are very rural areas. Uh, oftentimes these are, and this isn't, again, this also happens in, in big cities like Albuquerque, in Portland, in Seattle, but we see in really like, in very rural areas where there's, they call them man camps and they're usually like, um, like fracking or oil industry brings a lot of these like sure. so-called yeah. like man camps in where they're just like overnight setups with like trailers and just a bunch of guys and in very rural communities, very marginalized and again, under-resourced communities that natives have been placed in thanks to the reservation system. And so when these happen, there's no reports on it. Um, when, a, when a native woman goes missing, you don't see this in the news. Like when a native woman goes missing, the community knows about it. And what, what gets me is the community talks about it. The community, like we know about it, we share it. We try to get people to care about it, but we, it, we're again, this invisible minority in the US, which is, it's so frustrating because you're like, oh, you, like people don't even, people don't even view us as a person or else they either don't care. Like, I don't know, there's a split sometimes. I struggled with this a lot more when I was younger where it's like, you reach the conclusion that either one, people just don't care about you or two, they care about you and they just don't care that a person has been murdered. Like, because it's not, we're not real people. Like we're, you know, mascots and we're anthropology, um, and urban outfitters sweat, you know, sweater patterns, or we are fancy rugs at stores, but we're not real people. Um, and I don't know, like, again, MMIW is something that there are so many more, much more articulate people out there speaking about it, doing the active on the ground work for it. Um, but I, but I, I think the small parts that I can play in, for things that I care about or things that directly or indirectly affect me, it's okay, maybe I can help, you know, if like lend code or like program something for someone that may help, like it's not very big and it's not very like, you're not doing, you're not changing it, you're not single-handedly, but it's like, it's a way and I think this is sort of important overall. It's like, even if you don't feel like you have skills that are gonna change, gonna change the world or do anything, like I think everyone has a very important like role and they have a very important skill, whether they realize it or not. And because oftentimes it's like, I'm not the best coder and I'm not, I'm definitely not the best coder and I'm definitely not the best programmer and I'm not this or that, but it's like, but I can do this and I care a lot about my community. I care a lot about indigenous women. Like I care a lot because it's like that somebody's mother, that somebody's sister, that could have been my sister, that could have been my mother. Like you using what skills you have, um, I think it's just a better way to like, to, to sort of like move about the world. Cause then mm -hmm. you hope others are too. Yeah, I understand that. Um... How can listeners get involved in the movement for MMIW? 
I think it's just about amplifying news. If you're, if you're not part of the community and you don't really know a way in, um, sometimes the first way to get in is one, reading up on what it is and understanding what it is and understanding what your role is in, in that. And that isn't to say, I have I get this question sometimes, but I think most natives, we get some weird questions from people, but, but someone was just like, don't you just hate white people? And it was like, wait, what? I, I mean, they're operating out of a really bad stereotype, but I do think that it's important to understand people's privilege. Like, and that that's not just for MMIW, that's for like across the board, part of being kind of a good human and being a good citizen is understanding your role in the scheme of all of this, like in the scheme of society, in the scheme of the larger community that you're in is what is your role? Like I have to examine, because I do have privilege. I was able to go to college. My mom only has a GED and it was one of those where she was incredibly privileged to have that GED. Like, and so when I got like, you know, I'll, and I'm incredibly privileged to even go to college and these because now I'm college educated that, you know, that is privilege that I have to be aware of because I'm, I, I'm able to have a steady job that's privileged within that. Like, you know, there are certain things because I, my proximity to whiteness is, well, it's still distantly away. Um, It's closer than some of like, some of my peers, some of my family members. So it, it's one of those where I have to acknowledge, like, how do I benefit from light skin? How do I benefit from this and understanding my role in things? And I think when it comes to MMIW is understanding your role in the big, because things are all interconnected. Um, we can get into this very like existentialist, like spiritual aspect of how things are interconnected. But the reality is like things are for the most part interconnected. Um, They usually tie back to capitalism, but I don't want to turn this into an anti-capitalism rant just yet. Um, But it is, it's sort of like, are you profiting off of, off of essentially MMIW? And if you're not, so if you want to get involved, I would say first it's educating yourself the best that you can and look for papers written by Indigenous scholars, not about Indigenous people. Look for things authored by members of the community. Look for, there's incredible um, scholars out there writing about this. There's incredible journalists out there. So NAJA, the Native American Journalism Association is Native American journalists. So it's Natives writing about Native issues. And you have Ruth Hopkins, you have Tara Hauska, you have um, Kim Tallbear, you have so many um, incredible people writing about not just this issue, but other very important issues. And I think that's, that would be the stepping stone for pretty much anything. How can people get involved? First, educate yourself so you're not putting that on somebody else. So you're not putting that expectation of like, how can I do this on someone else? Then you're like, oh, okay, at least I have this broad understanding. And then after that, examine your privilege within this whole scope. Okay, thank you. You've accomplished a lot. What's next for you? I th- it's kind of weird because I'm I, I, thinking very much like I have no sense of time in quarantine. So <laughs> I think a lot of my big goals, I think of as just sort of on hiatus, which maybe is a horrible way to approach life. And I'll find out in a year if this thing continues and I've put my life on hold for two years. You're tuned into X-Ray FM. You just heard from Robin Moxkey, Indigenous activist and coder known for her work 
broadening Native American participation in tech. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you so much. Stay tuned for more femme-focused content on X-Ray FM Amplifies Women.